Come on. Hello and welcome to Dynamite Neddy. It's the Retro Games Podcast where a couple of our pals get together and talk about a couple of our games. Uh, the voice you're hearing just now is myself, Mick Clockerty. Joining me as pair, we have Mr. Mick McCormick. Hello. And Mr. Andy MacArthur. Konnichiwa. Well, boys, we have gone from the highest of highs in the form of a, a nothing-each draw with England and the, the lowest of lows in terms of back-to-back defeats at Hamden. <laughs> um, I know, Andy, I'm sorry. Um, maybe Maybe Euro chat's a wee bit raw. Um, in, <laughs> instead of what he's been playing, let's start with McCormick. So I've been playing a wee bit of a, a game that's like far too modern for most of your sensibilities, probably, but uh, Valheim, which is like a kind of survivally sort of building, crafting yes. Minecraft thing that the Wayne's is it, like. Is that a, is, that's not the dinosaur themed one, no? It's not. So I, I have been, I had played that one and I really just didn't like it. Like, I expected to be in and then you've got on the back of your fucking T Rex for the get go. Yeah. But in that game, like, if you're not constantly like, hunting for berries or like building a, a wee house for shelter you're going to die of exposure within like minutes like before you've even fucking See, encountered a brontosaurus these these things can sometimes <laughs> lean on fucking air quotes realism a wee bit too much um to the point where it kind of interferes with the fun <laughs> what is valheim then what is this kind of minecraft survival skin that valheim has on it so I guess the the theme of this one is a kind of a Viking type thing. You've been right. sent to like the um, the afterlife. You can see the kind of roots of the world tree above you in the sky, and you've got to like kind of do these um, these challenges to kind of make your way to your home in Valhalla or whatever. The thing that I quite like about this one, in comparison to the other games I've played, such as um, Ark, which is the the dinosaur one, is. You basically, you can never actually die of not having enough food or not having enough water. You're mainly getting bonuses for a day and all that stuff. So, you know, you can cut about in in the world to your heart's content, fighting wee goblins and kind of building your, your house and that. But if you are well rested or if you have had a meal and stuff like that, then you, you'll maybe have like more stamina, more HP, more attack, that sort of thing. Ah, right, so there's a there's a gameplay reason to do these things rather than simply it, it just keeps you alive. Yeah, so you can come at it at your own pace sort of thing. You don't have to worry too much about that stuff, but if you are going to, like, say, get get tooled up and go on a, a quest to a dungeon, you might want to make sure you've had a good night's sleep and you've eaten a steak uh, and, uh, and all this sort of stuff. So, well, yeah, it can reward some... you for it. Is it implied that the main character was a member of the Tula Society, or is that sort of just headcanon you make up yourself? <laughs> um, yeah, I think some of that iconography might appeal to the wrong, the wrong people, but the community, is, as, far, as far as I'm aware, is, is pretty friendly. I was enjoying just kicking about, cutting down some some trees and building my, my very aesthetically pleasing wooden house and that. I was a bit disappointed when some members of the Norwegian black metal band came and burnt it down in the name of Satan. <laughs> you weren't as disappointed as the Vikings were when they came to Largs and there was no Jews. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm gonna need I'm gonna need clarification here. That's citation needed and Well I was and... I was I was following on for your kind of uh, <laughs> your kind of point, your nod to the fact that uh, kind of Nordic folklore's been hijacked by a certain subsection of society. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I, I, I was, I was, um, but I, I was in large recently, and I did a wee Viking history tour, 
and I had I, I was fully on anorak mode there like but of course <laughs> of course there weren't Jews and Lards in medieval <laughs> Scotland like what are you talking about that wouldn't make any sense um, <laughs> no I, re- I realise you were doing another Nazi joke now um, it's, it's, it's got to be it's got to be a wee bit of a gutter if you are like a a Viking like lore guy you know if you were into if you were into going to Vikingar and know, um, know, know. You, you loved uh, Marco Rajamaki and all that to know to know just kind of being called a Nazi if, if you I, if, if you're you a whole website decorated with like all these kind of ancient runes and stuff like that and then all of a sudden people are asking you know why you want to exterminate them <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm trying to think of other examples like where that's happened like um, sort of paedophiles claimed anime for a while didn't they it's kind of the same thing yeah, I mean it's it's. It, I, I mean there there are probably parallels there. Um, there's there's a there's a whole other rabbit hole you could go down about fucking age of consent laws and fucking kind of semi legal paedophilia in Japan. But this isn't the right podcast for it, my man. It's the um, only time you feel guilty for rapists, when it when you fucking say that the Vikings are hard done by. <laughs> Here, well, this is another thing where um, the the image of the Viking as a big fucking pillaging rapist, uh, you know, running away with two women over either shoulder. That's kind of history being written by fucking bitter British cunts. Apparently, apparently, women in Britain um, found mating with the Vikings quite desirable. Um, and there is a very simple reason behind it. You might think, oh, because they, mus- they were big muscly rides or they had big willies or, or something like that. Apparently, it comes down to the simple fact that they had better standards of hygiene. Um, oh, yeah, they, they, they bathed more often than people yeah, in the British Isles. They, they had cleaner hair and things like that. So the lassies kind of just went, well, he's, he's a bit of all right, isn't he? And if you think if you think about it, the people in the Middle Ages in, in medieval Britain that could write were the monks, and the monks never really had very good experiences with Vikings, so they're going to be writing down the absolute worst shit. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that mean that the ancient kind of Celts were all incels then, because the Vikings were stealing <laughs> the women. Well, I mean, I mean, the the, the guys doing fucking living in Lindisfarne probably were, you know, your monks are <laughs> your your monks are probably the medieval medieval equivalent of incels. Although they were they were voluntary celibates, I guess. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> But anyway, slight Viking tangent there, Andy. <laughs> what have you been playing yourself? I so Sega does it again, man. Smashes it out of the park. Uh, obviously, I had my Balan Wonderworld exploits recently, which was a kind of major letdown. By to letdown. the point where, aye, oh, man, Eugene Agus even thinking about releasing it for nothing and just calling it a day. Sad end. I'm playing New Genesis, man. Which is a uh, oh the, the Fantasy Star Online two. I it's do. the the yes. expansion kind of update to that. Aye, aye, I think they've stopped short of calling it uh, Fancy Star Online 3 because aye. it would alienate too many people. Um, but it's a brand new game. Um, it's got very little in common with, with PSO2. Uh, it's a, essentially, it's an open world kind of MMO, but it's a very mobile MMO. Like you can fly about, you can jump, you can move about like Devil May Cry, like one of them games. And the, and the fighting's kind of Mere Dark Souls and less Final Fantasy. Um, I quite like it's that. Really good. That was the thing that kind of let down games like World of Warcraft and that for me, and it might have been like the kind of technological limits at the time, but like it was never all that responsive. Like the, the combat, it was all it was all Aye. based around the 
um, the idea that people were, had like shitty internet connections, so everything had quite loose timing in that. Aye. Um, whereas with modern kind of broadband and that, you can have folk playing like an action game, but with you know hundreds of folk on a server at the same time. Well, I mean, Aye. yeah, they, they do this stuff with first-person shooters, don't they? That's got to be like to the fucking millisecond, or else people go after not about lagging that. Aye, so fighting it's, games it's, as well. Yeah, it, I, it stands to reason that they should be able to do it for RPGs. Do you know what I mean? And you're saying like the kind of the movement mechanics takes stuff with Breath of the Wild in that because that sounded yeah. quality to me. Aye, there's a there's definitely a standard now in in, in video online computer games uh, where I know world is kind of expected now. I don't know if it's kind of Rockstar brought that in a way back when, but now um, you've got like, every franchise kind of doing the open world thing. Um, but Breath of the Wild is the one that kind of jumped out my right away because I, um, you know how in Zelda you used to be kind of restricted between like battle mode and movement mode. Well, that was the same with Fantasy Star Online. Like as soon as you switch to battle mode, the camera would change, your movement would change, kind of. But now it's all the same mode. Oh, it's seamless. Aye, Aye, so there's no transition. It's the same thing, and uh, Devil May Cry, man. That's that's what it's like. The bat, the, the battle systems of Devil May Cry. Keep in mind, I only play uh, the Hue cast, and my sub class is the one with the sword. So I do the Hue cast and the fighting one. So it's like a fighter. Before we move on to our uh, games of the day, um, give us a quick rundown of the the characters that you play because I, I believe uh, one of your characters is called like Big Mad Scottish Cunt or something like that and he's, he's like a, big, a big blue guy or something get, that's get, not a character man Andy <laughs> lives that character every day he's a, a taster aye so right uh, fail, so fail fancy so fancy star online um, I went with I always went with Celtic names man I, the first one I was the Fenian Yep. Um, it was originally in the Greenian, <laughs> but I get stoned and says I'm changing him to Athenian. Uh, and then, and then I, I, I changed my I changed my colour to blue, called myself the Picked, ah. the Warrior. And then in this most recent incarnation, of this character, I've changed it to just the Scott because at the time I created the character, it was right before the Euros. Everything was fucking rosy, brilliant. Scotland was amazing. Everybody, people used to slate me from the Scotland fans. Were all walking about with salt tires on their necks, man. So I thought, here we go. I'm going to call myself the Scott. And uh, hi, that's my name on New Genesis so far. What sort of character you got? A Hugh Cass is like a kind of robot hunter, which is a kind of is that a melee type? I so I'm uh, I've kind of changed it up. I, that's my subclass now. In this game, you're allowed to choose two classes. Right. So you can have a, a main class and a subclass. And there's a sort. I remember in Final Fantasy X, you had that kind of tree thing where you could add like it was like a board, and you could add uh, certain like moves on it, certain bits of magic and stuff like that. Yeah, the sphere grid. Yes. Well, you've got that now, and you can learn. Um, you can uh, each sort of class has got its own sphere grid essentially. Um, so you can switch between classes at any point during fighting and uh, you can be like a level 10 on your fighting class but only be a level 2 on your um, on your hunter class right. oh that's um, that's quite in Dungeons and Dragons the, the multi-classing is quite a big thing these days aye a lot of people that play Baldur's Gate will play it as like a fucking fighter slash bard or you know like a thief slash wizard type shit aye. Um, cool man Really cool, and uh, you get a lot of people like yourself. My comment, you like to go the mage type of dude. Yeah, uh, that's in it, man. And people seem to people have been saying that it's really extensive. They're really happy with the kind of mage side of things. Um, I've not, I've not explored that any. But I mean, I've spent most of my time um, just fucking uh, adding augments to my weapons, becoming a pure tank. And like, alright, I'm a level ten or eleven just now because the levels are dead slow. But 
Um, I'd say because of the amount I'm upgrading my weapons, I'm definitely going to get a level 15, 16 around for his money, man. And uh, the, good, nice. the good thing about this game today that I've not seen, um, and it's probably been about, but I've just not seen it, you can run about this field, right? And you can see that numbers in a, in a distance, and the numbers signify somebody's battling, and there's H points, HPs coming off of enemies, and you can just run over to a random battle that somebody's having, this epic fucking battle, with these big massive, they're called dolls, they're big massive fucking enemies, and you can just help and have this big massive battle that lasts for like 20 minutes. You just run over and fucking steal their kill at the end, I'd, I'd be tempted to do that. Aye, well, <laughs> you just help, you all help each other man, and then once it's all wiped out, you can have a wee chat now, which your name, blah blah, you want to join my alliance, blah blah blah, before you know it man, you're making pals. It's a fucking honestly, man. You go. I'm going to. I'm going to play New Genesis for ten minutes to see what's like. End up in a city, just fucking sharpening my weapon for about three quarters of an hour before I even went out and killed something. Well, right. It's a time sinker. Any any listeners, if you happen to be a New Genesis player yourself, or you like the sound of getting into it, fucking fire us a, a message on the Facebook or on the fucking Twitter or whatever, or. You know, most of you fucking know us, so just give us a shout and um, you can you can link up with Andy Mack online and run about fucking killing monsters together and that. It's free as well. I've not put one penny into this game. Usually, usually you expect these things to be like pay to win. Free mail type shit. I ain't, put, I ain't put a penny into this game, man. It's been fucking oh, cool. magic, man. I guess but the money just goes towards your cosmetic shit and that. Aye, aye, well, you can. You can you can obviously make five levels in two mm, minutes. Buy, buy mounts in, and all that. There's no fun in that, you know. Just level up. Right. Um, I don't have a delicate segue into this, so we're just we're done with the bump section at the start. <laughs> we're moving on. We're moving on to our games now. Um, I've not really been playing anything outside. Or, the most game that I've been playing is a, a life sim where you're me and you're you're drinking every day because the Euros is on, and also try to play your Dynamite and Eddie games. Um, so <laughs> speaking of Dynamite and Eddie games, see there, I've done it, Andy. Why did you pick Sylvester and Tweety, KG Capers, for myself? Probably the same reason they picked me, mate. I remember going to Blockbuster way back in the day. It might have been the Ritz at the time, Westbrook Hall Street in Greenock. Uh-huh. And I remember, um, I used to get in, and I was a platforming fan. I remember renting, I remember this kind of green packaging, distinct green packaging, as if it came from like an old Soviet warehouse or something, it was just like a green. By the way, I remember the box and all, I don't I don't even <laughs> think, I don't think I played this back in the day, but I remember the box for fucking video shops and that. Aye, <laughs> green, solid green. Aye. Just, here's your Sylvester, here's your tweet, and they fucking about. And uh, aye, it, got, it fucking got me, I got it, got it home. And I just thought it was a great wee platformer. I loved the fact that you could uh, it gave you the illusion that you could catch Tweety at any point, even though you couldn't. Your wee child brain is thinking, I can catch him, so it keeps you coming back, <laughs> trying to get him, but you can't get him. Um, I, I thought it was a nice wee bit of design. I thought the platform was quite good and it had nice animation too. I, I, I just enjoyed it, man. I, I rented it more than once, man. I got it a couple of times. I like the scary dog and that. Aye. That's pretty much it, man. Well, I'll give you what the game is, first of all. As Andy alluded to, you know your famous Sylvester the Cat try to catch uh, Tweety Pie cartoons? This is basically just a 16-bit video game of that. You control Sylvester, and you need to navigate across a level trying to catch fucking Tweety Pie, the annoying fucking speech impediment little bird cunt. <laughs> um, you, while avoiding, avoiding other characters... For the cartoon, such as the big muscly dog Spike or uh, uh, the gra- the granny. 
Was he in Tom and Jerry too? There, I think there was a different dog in Tom and Jerry, man, because they Tom and Jerry was like Hanna Barbara win it and and Sylvester and Tweety is like Looney Tunes. Ah. But they're oh do you know what? Maybe I'm getting mixed up and Spike is the name of the dog in Tom and Jerry. They're very similar characters. They're indistinguishable almost, aren't they? Like I can't pick some kind of breed of dog. Aye. They are <laughs> big. a big giant muscly dog. Pitbull a pitbull or something. Aye. No see, going into this, I figured that um what we were dealing with as an Andy pick of of course would be first and foremost a platformer. But I would argue this is actually a wee bit merry a fucking puzzle platformer. Um the puzzle element of it is a lot more prominent than you might think at first glance, you know, when you're you're just jumping from platform to platform trying to catch Tweety. You pick up various power ups, right? And this is where it reminds me of um, favourite of the listener when we pronounce it lemons, um, <laughs> because because uh, citrus fruit that we all know and love. <laughs> so, Sylvester Sylvester picks up various items uh, that that do different things. So there's a, a pogo stick that you can pick up that kind of makes you bounce I, and do a big I, jump. I. There's a bone. And if you pick up a bone, you can distract the big muscly dog and throw it away in a direction and he'll run away and leave you alone for a bit. Um, and there is even a fucking umbrella that lets you sort of float for a distance. Um, you don't take any fall damage and you can sort of float across the stage like fucking lemons. Um, so it, it, it put me in mind a, a lemons a wee bit. Um, <laughs> as, as I was playing it, I know I'm fucking mother for pronouncing that. Send um, me a lemon. Um... <laughs> As the levels go on, I'll hold my hands up. I I got to, I think I only got to the third or fourth level. Um, it's a level, I think they might, the levels might all be based on classic Sylvester and Tweety cartoons because a level I chucked it at was uh, you were in a lab and Tweety Pie would sometimes like not get into a potion that would turn them into a big fucking monster version of Tweety Pie. Ah, yeah, I, remember, it, my it, I think I remember that I, episode. It's quite disturbing. If you went near him, aye, if you went if you went near him, he fucked you up. So that was as far as I got. But I looked at some gameplay footage on YouTube of somebody who could, you know, play the game better than I could of um, later levels. And there was a big one on a boat and uh, there was one on a train and all of this. So aye. I think the levels, they based themselves on uh, actual cartoons for, for the... Aye. the... The weird bit about this game, and I know I keep getting back to it, was there was something alluring about that uh, catch tweeting mechanic. Like... I, when I first played the game, I thought, right, okay, my the kind of remit for this game is to catch that wee bastard. So you, you try to catch him and he would slip away, but no! You'd be trying to get him and you'd nearly get him. Every time you would nearly get him. Throughout the level, Tweety will sort of fly about. He'll usually go somewhere annoying as fuck just out your reach. You know what? Like if you're, you're at the start of the stage, he'll be on tap or something that you kind of jump to and you think, right, I need to fucking either move boxes about to jump on top of them or jump my way so that I can kind of get up there. The way that you get points in this game, remember, remember points was a thing in games? Um, is if you, you run up to Tweety, you've got a claw move and if you scratch fuck out a Tweety before he's able to fly away, your points go up fucking rapid and you can get extra lives and things like that but yeah. I Tweety will fly to various points in the level and if you catch him before a certain point and start scratching him it's uh, as Andy's saying um, it makes you think it makes you think you can get him 
he's he's quite an annoying character. It is quite satisfying if you manage to catch up to him and land a couple of fucking hits on him. Um, <laughs> but I, can't, I suppose you can't ever actually like catch him early, like finish the level early. No. Or that you've always got to chase no. at the end. And that was the illusion that got me, man. I got off. I thought, fuck. I said, Zach, you must be able to get him because the game sets it up so that it actually says before the level, the objective of this level is to catch this bastard. Aye. So I spent the whole level like, oh, nearly a bastard. Aye, you fucker, yeah. Tweety will always fly to a predetermined point that's kind of at the end of the level. Um, so, I mean, I guess if you were looking this with a view to speedrunning it or whatever, you could probably just ignore Tweety Pie in the level and make your way to the end of the level where he will Aye. eventually land and then that you, you would beat the level that way. Aye, it's a bit like a snitch in Quidditch. Is it a snitch it's called? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, mate. You're the Glasgow Uni one. You, you play a <laughs> shit. You, you probably play a shit weekly, you tell us. Why the Gallus? <laughs> what house are you in? <laughs> so to to move on to your graphics a wee bit, right? I'm no I'm no as much a kind of graphics guy, but um I would put this somewhere on par with your your fucking Mega Drive Disney games. Like the Pretty high praise. If, if visuals are pretty fucking spot on, it it looks like a fucking Sylvester and Tweety cartoon, do you know they they obviously like tried or, or put enough money into it or, or had enough animators. Um, they're quite kind of iconic characters. Like, did they have nice kind of big sort of expressive sprites in that? I look a bit like I, the, yes, big sprite. Your your, yes. your Sylvester is a big sprite. You are instantly fell in love with it. Always the center of the screen. Um, they also use um, sampled speech. From the cartoons, uh, one of the one of your main buttons actually, I think if you hold in C, Sylvester will whip out a pair of binoculars, and then the view of the screen will move over to where Tweety Pie is, so that you can get an idea of where he is. And um, when you do that, Sylvester says things like uh, "Hello, breakfast," or you know, "I'm I'm going to eat you, you wee yellow cunt." Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But um, I use the use sample speech for the cartoons, and the music is a wee bit fucking generic. Um, you get the the standard, you know, the that fucking Looney Tunes tune is like the Aye. the title music. But the other levels, it's just kind of wacky, kind of bombastic music. It's a wee bit generic, but you know, fucking, it works for what this is. I was just going to say, Tech Magic, the people at Megas, I'm not enough about what they've actually done. And they've made two games Andre Agassi Tennis and Champions of Europe, which seems to be some sort of football game, and Sylvester on Tweety. So this is actually their only attempt to end as near a shitty sports game. <laughs> I, think, I think Andre Agassi Tennis was actually a decent tennis game I've never heard of the Fitba game though which kind of makes me raise alarm bells a wee bit <laughs> Champions of Europe man it looks like Kevin Keegan celebrating ah well you know there was a licensed Kevin Keegan game here maybe Champions <laughs> of Europe was the the generic designation for when they released it in other countries but there was a player manager Kevin Keegan game that came out on I can't, I can't fucking remember it's Sega or SNES or something but I to tie this back to Andy talking about a video shop experience with this, I think it's quite apt because if you were going to fucking rent a game for the weekend, the exact type of thing that you would have looked at, because you were you were literally judging a book by by its cover, weren't you? Aye. You would tend to go with a fucking easy association, like, oh, I know who they are, or I've seen that cartoon, I'm going to fucking take this away and rent it, um, like Ariel Monsters. However, I would say that, one, unlike that fucking Ariel Monsters game, 
Um, if you got this, um, you would probably actually be pleasantly surprised with it, rather than fucking having wasted your money and force yourself to play something shite for a weekend just because you got a yeah. fucking global video <laughs> or whatever. I mean, some developers did put like a, a decent amount of effort into these licensed tie-ins. It wasn't until some time later that they all became such blatant cash-ins. I've got a wee bit of a... Since we've got time, I've, I've not really got much else to say about the game. I've got a wee bit of a hot take about these style of cartoons. Right, tell us more. Always interested. I don't know if this is just me, and you can feel free to agree or disagree. As a child, if I watched a Sylvester and Tweety, or a Tom and Jerry, or a Roadrunner, any of these things, I empathised instinctively with the pre- the Prey character. I would have been oh, like, yes, yes, Tweety, fucking get up him, that stupid cat, you fucking outrun him and, you know, taunt him, make him feel like a fucking idiot, he's never going to catch you, um, I'm, I'm siding with you. If I see one of these cartoons now, at the age of 32, I tend to empathise with the, you know, world-weary, looking at the camera and sighing, uh, Wiley Coyote type character, who <laughs> just, just wants something to eat is getting annoyed by, like, a flippant child who he can never seem to catch. Nothing ever fucking lands at their feet. I don't know why that is, but at a certain point in life, I think you go from empathising with the Tweety Pie to empathising with the Sylvester. I don't know if you are in that same boat, by the way. That's well, I mean, me. after, you, if you've lived your life a, a, a wee bit, you know, you've you've loved and lost and you've, you've had the experience of, of really wanting something and then it being denied to you and the kind of pain that can cause you. When you're when you're a kid, you know it's it's all ahead of you. You think you're invincible. You think Aye. you could be the guy that's um, that just escapes all every, every problem that life throws at them. Aye, I think that uh, the guy that that writes these films, especially Roadrunner, is probably the doing half the Polis one night. So what he's writing about the Polis fucking chasing him finally, wanting to eat him alive basically. So he writes like the coyote as the Polis. They always take a hit at the end. <laughs> Which is a well, way out of it. Yeah, you heard it here first, listener. All cops are bastards, includes Wiley Coyote. Includes <laughs> anthropomorphic animals, though. Widened, it quite, widened the scope of this quite a lot. I mean, we already knew that it included Paw Patrol. <laughs> I think it was always, always kind of funny, but without fail, it was always funny. It's been a, it would fall off the, the end of the like, cliff. And you would always just sit there waiting for a wee puff of smoke at the end. Aye. But when he'd hit a deck, man, it was always funny. Because it never, never ever took the same amount of time. It was always like, would it take 20 seconds? Would it take 10 this time? Actually, to tie this back into the game a wee bit, um, it is interesting after word go that a Sylvester and Tweety game would put you, the player, controlling Sylvester. As far as I'm aware, any other attempt at licensed games from these style of cartoons you would always play as does for instance there is a roadrunner game and in that one you don't fucking play as coyote you play as fucking roadrunner and you're running away from the coyote and trying to outsmart him whereas actually now that i ain't going at playing as the fucking coyote and fucking about with loads of different gadgets that blow up in your face and that might be more fun so i quite like that this game takes a wee bit of a different spin by putting you in the and the guys are Sylvester, I guess. There's actually a a bit of a kind of connection with Wiley Coyote and an influence he's had on like modern game design. Don't know if you've heard about this, but um, when you're playing a platformer, you know sometimes you can do a um, 
you can fall off a, a cliff or something, you're like, shit, I, I, I was definitely in time to jump off that cliff. Um, and it's because the game is like, you know, exact sort of, it's looking at the exact pixel where you leave the cliff and then judging that whether or not you can jump or not. Um, and that can be a bit annoying. So developers have started including a wee bit of leeway so where you can run a wee bit further than the edge but still make the jump. And they've called it Coyote Time, which is based off the, you know, when you see Wiley Coyote running, chasing the Roadrunner. And then he looks down and he realizes that he's not running on anything. Yeah. And then he falls like down. That. But it's only when he it's only when he realizes that he falls he could then he just get running. He has that moment of oh fuck I looks, <laughs> looks down, looks at the camera, sometimes holds up a wee sign that says I'm an arsehole and then plummets. Is it space jam or something where that happens and they all get told to look up and they used to look down porky pig in that cell they're allowed to they let them walk along the chasm so long as they don't look down <laughs> oh possibly <laughs> so if you ever make a make a jump in a platformer that's right on the unifedge then that's because it's because you're in coyote time but I <laughs> oh, but listen for a rental game for something you would dip into this is quite good fun to play for a wee one half. Anybody who's a fan of kind of puzzly platformers for the 16-bit era that never had a go of this, um, dip in, because you'll probably be pleasantly surprised. It's a nice wee game. If that type of thing doesn't interest you, though, I wouldn't say that it's a a must-play under any circumstances. It's just, it's all right if that's your thing. Um, We've already played all the must-plays anyway. We're straight in the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> well. Oh, I've got plenty of the locker, man. Plenty. I've, got plenty, I've got plenty plenty locked and loaded. Andy, did you have anything else to add about your pick there, or will we move on? Um, oh, nah. I mean, they're going, these are going to appear every now and again on a show, because fucking nine times out of ten, man, it's the games I played were rental, because it's poor. So, aye, it was one of them once. It's always good to bring these up... Now and again on the meeting totties episodes of Dynamite Neddy. Aye. Um and and you know what, as I say, I didn't have a bad experience where it's worth a look if that's your type of thing. Right, we're going to move on now to the game that I picked for Mr. McCormick, which is a an RPG from Enix or Enix, once again called The Seventh Saga. The reason I picked this shit is just because I've I've always had a fucking weird fascination with this game. Me and McCormick will often talk about the fucking emulation scene. You know, the first sort of times you played the old Final Fantasy games on the Super Nintendo, Aye. Chrono Trigger, Earthbound, all they type of things. This was one that I always fucking played back then. I found it such a fucking fascinating concept. I thought it was really cool. And then the game itself, I always just found too hard i was like I, I was frustrated by it i found it unplayable i would manage to get a wee bit further sort of every time uh, my wee brother aero frequent guest friend of the show um, me and him have both got quite a thing about this game and we would frequently dip back into it and, and for that reason alone i thought it would be interesting to get the mccormick perspective on it aye so it's a it's an unusual one this one um I guess we'll start with the kind of the, the things I, I liked on the, the first impression. So the thing that kind of caught my attention was that it was just quite an unusual kind of world um, that you're 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 setting out an, an adventure in. Apart from some some of the first graphics are a wee bit off-putting and kind of like the, the tile sets and that are, are blocky, but when you do get out into the world, it's quite kind of it's quite a somber kind of place. Yeah, there's a strange mixture of fantasy realism, the 
the human characters all look quite human. Nothing really is striking about them. And then the monster designs are all fucking... Like, you could call them fucking Lovecraftian or, like, H.R. Geiger at points. Like, <laughs> but there, there isn't really anything cute in Seventh Saga. Aye, like most kind of your classic JRPGs, like, the graphics would lean towards cutesy, kind of cutesy characters and that. The main characters in this uh, aren't they really. You can get a, a choice of main characters. Um, some of them, like one of them's an alien, one of them's a, a, a kind of demon. They're all quite sort of faintly gross looking. The enemies, especially when you first jump into a kind of random battle, um, you're faced with some quite disgusting <laughs> creatures. Um, yeah. There's one, the, the one that sticks out is like when you're in a dungeon, um, you often encounter this thing. It looks like flayed. It's like you can just get kind of bone and, and sinew and no skin um, it's kind of horrible ghoul thing <laughs> you encounter quite a lot of those in dungeons yeah. the first time you find him he's called undead and then you find him in dungeons later in the game um, and he's just reskinned these different colours and they call him things like undyed um, <laughs> until eventually Seventh Saga goes Scottish and in one of the final dungeons of the game he appears as undead. He's undead, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another one, um, I, I just big sort of Lovecraftian fucking green indescribable monster that's just called Despair. Yes, <laughs> and that's like one of the fucking low level enemies. You're just yeah, you jump in this game, you're fighting despair. Love it. You, you have us hanging this game. The number seven is a recurring theme, as you might imagine. I mean, they'd seen the future and they knew that in a couple of years' time, Henrik Larson was coming, so they picked the right <laughs> number. But um, you, as McCormick said, get to pick from seven different characters, and this was, I guess, something that that attracted me to it was that. You had room there for quite different gameplay types and different styles of play, depending on what character you wanted to be. But the interesting thing about it is, so it, it lines these characters up at the start, and it says, you know, do you want to be the alien? Do you want to be the dwarf? Do you want to be the, the warrior? And so on. But when you start the game, all the other six characters are on the same mission as you. So they are essentially like... You feel like they're player-controlled, uh, rather computer-controlled characters off, you know, doing the same sort of thing as you. Of course, it's all fucking scripted, but, um, you know, you can join forces with them. They can betray you at certain scripted parts of the game. They get to places ahead of you and they get one of the seven runes you're supposed to collect and stuff like that. I, I found that quite interesting. Um, I guess a wee bit like uh, Andy was saying with Sylvester and Tweety, you know how the game tricked him into thinking that you could actually get Tweety Pie? <laughs> Back in the day, this game sort of tricked me into thinking that the other characters were working in real time and, you know, that I had to kind of rush to get things done, which obviously isn't the case, but by a gameplay point of view or a design point of view, it's um, it's interesting that they managed to kind of arguably achieve that. On the front of this case, um, I'm Seventh Saga, warning this RPG may cause excitement, shock, disbelief, confusion but overall complete enjoyment did you did you experience all six of these um, revelations <laughs> um well i guess that's maybe a good kind of structure to follow um excitement um uh, maybe didn't get quite as much excitement as a, a player in the american version of the game would get because what me and mick have discussed in the past is that this game was quite heavily altered um, when it was released in America um, yes. they decided that the Japanese game was too easy 
So they changed all the kind of the, the stats of like the enemies and the stats of the the players, so that it's it's just much more difficult. Mick was playing it, I think, with the kind of original American difficulty, and I was playing it with a patch. And you were you were saying that you know you, you would come go into a new dungeon and you would encounter an enemy there that might just kill you in one hit. They basically always would. So I mean, we have talked about. It's one of these almost kind of dynamite nedyisms, you know, like your wee pile analogy um, <sighs> about um, the difficulty of games that we played as Wayne's because you had to get your money's worth. You know, if you could beat a game in one sitting, it wasn't worth much. They had to make them hard because you might only have a couple of games to play. This is an example of that taken to its fucking extreme. The Japanese version was seen as quite easy. You know, you could probably beat it in... 15 to 20 hours so they fucking ramped the difficulty right up so that they could put in the box you'll get 60 hours of play out of this neglecting to mention that you know many of those hours are just you grinding levels so that you don't get your cunt kicked in because <laughs> I was reading a, um, an interview with Ted Wilsey who's the guy who like translated all the Final Fantasy games and all the Square games in English quite a kind of controversial figure back in the day quite a, an opinionated guy but he basically said in that interview that he thought that American gamers and Japanese gamers had like fundamentally different ideas about what makes a good game for like in terms of gameplay in terms of storytelling in terms of graphics like he just thought like we like completely different things and he said like if he had sort of infinite budget when he was porting over like Final Fantasy 4 or something he would have just got coders in to like fucking rewrite it for the ground up um, for like an American audience and change the story change everything about it really and that's kind of what they did with like Secret of Mana because they didn't release Secret of Mana 2 over here um, but they released Secret of Evermore which is like kind of American counterpart to it which they thought Aye. Americans would like better you imagine like, that was the attitude of some when they took games over here um, that's why they kind of end up tweaking the difficulty and all that stuff. But that it's kind of unimaginable now. Like you know, I, I think people have realised. You know, if if you're a kind of hardcore RPG player, you, you're going to want the same experience that Japanese players are getting. Like um, even fucking if you compare it to something like the Persona games and the way they're translated, like they still even use like, all the Japanese honorifics and stuff like that. Yeah. They still um, like people calling each other senpai and kun and that. For for my money, that makes it better. Do you know what I mean? If you if you play a lot of fucking video games for Japan, you've probably get a fucking you know a wee bit of a fucking affinity and affection for the country, and you're you know you're quite interested in the way they do things. So I mean the yeah the I guess the prevailing attitude for the likes of us would be you know hands off, gears as close to what they got as you can. With with obviously that but so that we can still understand it. Aye, but yeah, I would say that the, the overall kind of localization of this game isn't isn't very good, <laughs> to be honest. I was saying about the kind of like this kind of interesting world. Like, I wanted to know a bit more about it when I was kind of talking to other other characters and get a, a glimpse of the story and like how did the world end up like this. But you don't really get much of that at all, and I'm I'm only I can only assume that you, you got a wee bit more of it in the um, in the Japanese version. Oh. But I never really understood why I was doing much of the stuff I was doing. There was the odd kind of interesting bit of dialogue, but most of it just didn't didn't really clear things up. This is where I'm going to differ with you a wee bit, right? <laughs> As being quite into, like, fucking Baldur's Gate and things like that, when you play these fucking PC Western RPGs for the early 90s, if you talk to a fucking NPC, a non-playable character, in a fucking tune, 
they are not going to say fucking, oh, you know, 5,000 years ago, God and the devil had a battle. Um, but, you, like, they, they don't give you that level of exposition. Um, I quite like that in Seventh Saga, NPCs and towns talk about things. They talk about quite fucking nerdy, boring things, like, you know, how their local economy works, or, <laughs> you know, tr- trade routes that they've got with other That's towns. Or, like, um, you know, two towns nearby might be going to war, um, which you can sort of interfere in and get involved with. The locals are... The locals, the NPCs in fucking Seven Saga are a wee bit like the fucking League of Gentlemen, you know? This is this is a local town for local people. We've got local <laughs> concerns. Um, <laughs> See, I, never, I don't know. I, I never seem to get that much of that. Maybe I was talking to the wrong folk. I got folk saying Ooga Booga, and I got folk saying I'm the best <laughs> yes. digger in the town. Um, Maybe that's bad translation or something, man. Your mileage may vary. Um, another thing with the translation, and you, you got this with quite a lot of SNES games, um, back in the day was they ran up into the limit of the number of characters you could put for things so if you think of like Japanese as a language right five characters are Japanese five five characters are Japanese can say a lot right you can write kind of five Japanese symbols and it translates to like the the magnificent wind dragon of the eastern eastern (laughs) sky but if you've got five characters in English you can just say dragon or I can't fit the O (laughs) <laughs> Aye, but Japanese novels are like fucking like forty eight pages, man. <laughs> yeah. Aye, so so like when when people are making like unofficial translations for these games, they'll they'll usually have to hack things a bit so they can include a bit more text. But in this year, like you you just they had to compress it quite a lot because like some items in that you, you can't have the full word potion and stuff like that. And um, the funniest one was um the enemy that kind of chases you all through the game, a guy called Red Python. And the original Japanese is R Python P I S O N, yeah, because <laughs> they they just couldn't fit in that um, that that full word. Python comes back uh, three times in the game. The first time you meet him, and I, as you pointed out to me on chat, you were like, "I think his name's meant to be Python," and I was kind of like, "All right," because it's literally <laughs> it's, it's Python. He's a bounty hunter that one of the other apprentices is, you know, hired to kill you. And then you meet him again, and he, he's come back for hell, and he's Red Python. And then you you fight Metal Python near the end as well. So in, in terms of gameplay, um, it's a a wee bit of a kind of mixed bag for me. Um, I I like the I like the fact that you go into go into battles, and it goes into like the mode seven um kind of mode, like the world map kind of spins about around you, and you're fighting on that world map. That's cool. Um, although the weird thing, because mode seven isn't proper 3D. Uh, if you're surrounded by mountains, they will just be flat, like a flat kind of mountain texture on the ground. They won't, um, they, they won't raise up and like surround you. Um, so that looks a bit strange. Um, the battles, the battles, Andy have um, Fantasy Star Four. Pretty much, you you see your characters face backs. On. You're facing the enemy face on. I. It's not like uh, Final Fantasy where it's you know you've got a side of the screen each. Uh, a wee bit earthbound there, is it? It's more yeah. like, like Final Fantasy Star 4 in that you can actually see your, your characters. You can't see Aye. them in Earthbound. And also, that the, the, the enemies did remind me of Fantasy Star 4 as well. You know what? A wee bit of JRPG chat here. It's weird. Like, I mean, obviously, like, turn-based games, JRPG uh, battle systems, it's weird how like perspective on a screen can have such a difference on uh, this, like, the way it plays, you know what I mean? Even though it's quite static, you know? It feels different. Aye, there's a lot of weird decisions they took in this there's a a thing that gets informally called the defend attack system where if you 
because in a lot of JRPGs, you know, your old fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy games and that, you, you have the option to defend, but does anybody ever really defend no. in these games? No, it, never makes, it never makes sense as a move to use. So, Seventh Saga incentivizes that a wee bit, whereas if you defend one turn, you take half damage, but then if you attack the turn after defending, you do double damage. So it's kind of like when you defend, you're preparing to do a fucking wee dig after it. Aye. Ah, right, okay. Yeah, it, it works quite well. And like, yeah, I, I end up getting into quite a good rhythm with the battles because, like, as, as Mick was saying, there's there's other characters that are around the world and you can ally with some of them if you want. I went the the alien, um, who I think is, like, um, what's the alien's name again? Uh, the alien is called Wilby. Uh, I, I, I called him Alan, just to, I don't he, know, I thought Alan the alien was appealing he was, to me. He was always Aero's guy, man, Aero, Aero championed the alien. Yeah, the alien is is he's really strong. He can't equip weapons and armor, but with, without them, he is he's pretty tough. And with the patch I was playing, he barely took any damage throughout the entire game, pretty much. But I teamed up with a, a mage, um, kind of elf woman called Isuna. So the battles were a kind of good rhythm, where like I was um I was defending, getting up for an attack. She was casting spells to kind of boost you and stuff. But also, if she she's kind of running out of mana, she has spells to let um to. To suck man out of um, out of other enemies, so that's a kind of bit of a gamble as well. MP catcher. Aye. So it's not just like um, it's not just mashing the attack button, but the, the downside is there's just way too many fucking fights for me. Like the, the yeah. random encounter level random is encounters. ridiculously high, and there's a thing, a, a weird system where like you have a kind of radar thing, and it points out where the runes are that you're trying to find, and it points out where enemies are, um, and you can see enemies walking about, and you can like ostensibly avoid enemies, but I just never found myself been able to do it like they're too Mark fast Mark, I'm so surprised to hear you say that man I've never ever heard you um, criticise a game based on random encounters maybe why it's modernisation is finally getting to you in quite games. possibly quite possibly aye I would, I would say that the encounter rate in Seven Saga is particularly fucking egregious and as Mick says the you would think it's a good thing that you know it's not just a mache game like every fight you get into you have to pay attention to you can't fucking take your eye off it. In fact, random encounters are harder than boss fights if you're playing the vanilla version. It's just another fucking weird quirk of it. So it's like God Hand or something like that. You can't take your eyes off a prize anytime you get into a fight. And when there are constant battles, um, yeah, it might feel like the game asks too much of you, I guess. I like if if it's going to be like that. If every battle is like you know a life or death situation, then just have less of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Aye. No, I, I would agree with that, probably. Um, what you were saying about how you can team up with the different characters, I quite like the bit of gameplay depth that gives you and, you know, different partnerships and kind of what they offer. I played as the demon guy, and in the US version, it kind of looks like he's got a rabbit's head. So uh, I named him after my girlfriend's rabbit, so I was kicking about as a big demon rabbit cunt called Smudgy. <laughs> I was waiting for it, man. <laughs> I, I joined forces with the priest guy, although in Oof, the the kind of a brave move. It was a brave <laughs> move, but and and all the and all the supplemental material in that it says that they hate each other and they don't trust each other. But for some reason, when I bumped into him in a town, they went, "I'll come with you." So I had him on side as a healer, and he was just constantly casting buffs, like doubling my strength and doubling my defense and all that, and also. Late game, he learns a spell called Elixir, which just breaks the game. It heals all of his uh, health points and magic points, including 
the cost of casting the spell in the first place. So you can just use him as a fucking in. No reason not, not to cast it. Aye, just a classic odd couple situation. Catholic priest, demon for hell. <laughs> yeah, and I, I and I, I loved it. It was uh, it's my it's my favourite combo from Seventh Saga. Um, there are a few wee differences. There's no you don't get much from playing as different characters. It's not a secret of mana too. You don't get significantly different plot lines and you know different endings and things. But there are a few wee bits of incidental dialogue that are different. And you take slightly different paths in the game. My particular favourite thing in terms of different characters you can play as, Mick, if you play as the giant robot, yeah. you know, if you talk to any Wayne in the game, they just talk about how cool you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I love cool. this big thing, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's... Yeah, there's a few kind of things. That was a kind of selling point for the game. Like, oh, you're never going to play the same game twice, you know, because there's randomised elements and you can choose different characters. It's somewhat smoke and mirrors, um, as you were saying. But, that, like, for example, um, there's, there's a bit, if when you're getting the, the third rune, the star rune, you go to this town and then they say, oh, somebody's rocked up here. He's fucking killed the king. He's taken the rune and he's just, like, trying to consolidate power for himself. Everyone living here is miserable. Um, and I've kind of fought through the, the castle sewers and got there to the throne room. And who'd be sitting on the, th- the throne room? None other than the fucking demon that Mick chose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking Leges is sitting there. And it's like, I'm not, de- I'm not doing this stuff for King Lamelli anymore. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to take this throne and fucking go off myself. So the game's just fuck- like randomly chosen one of the other players to be the baddie and to be your rival. Um, yeah. Which I quite like. And that could be different if somebody else is playing it or if you're playing as a different character. For me, it was the the human warrior. When I rocked up there, he was oh, like, the one yeah, that looks a, like Robocop. I, yeah, the one that looks like Robocop was <laughs> like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fucking dictator now. Like, um, I've I've got one of the runes, and these things are so powerful that I'm just going to take one and fucking rule this place like a god. Do you want to join forces <laughs> with me? Um, <laughs> and you can say yes, because I tried that, but um, he doesn't actually do anything. It's just you, you eventually do need to say no and fight him. Well... There is a gameplay reason for saying yes. It opens up the front door of the castle, so then you can walk back out, rest up at the inn, buy items, and then walk back in and uh. panel them without <laughs> having to go through the sewer again. That's pretty um, good. There's another thing about the... So, as I say, you get to a town where basically a dictator. You get to a couple of different towns that have got things like, you know, a cruel king that you need to overthrow. The music in this game, it's got an interesting thing where it kind of codifies what the tune is. There's maybe like six, five or six different town themes and you get to a town where it'll maybe play this kind of gentle like panpipe-ish music and you'll be like, okay, well this is a, you know, this is just a kind of loose village without much central rulership, um, very peaceful. And then you'll get to other towns where it'll play this kind of militaristic like medieval music and you'll be like, well, okay, I know this place is a king and it's got a very, a big emphasis on like uh, law and order. I would ask you uh, I'll, I'll send you the, the tune that I mean. If you chuck this one into the podcast, this is one where if it started playing, I always knew, right, this place is a king and it takes itself fucking too seriously.
I did like the music overall. Um, the, the thing I liked is not so much music, maybe you could call it a sound effect, but like the, the going into a battle kind of fanfare. Um, yeah. It kind of gets you hyped up for the million fights that you're going to fight. Um, yeah. But then after that, it, it always kind of like it segues into a, a tune, like um, a, a, there's a kind of a overworld one and a boss one. And like Mick was saying, there's a kind of bit near the end where you kind of end up going back in time, spoiler alert, but then the battle theme changes yeah. as well. So yeah, it kind of it kind of shows that the, the stakes have gone up a wee bit. I did fucking, for the first time in my life, manage to fucking beat the vanilla version of uh, Seventh Saga, the old hardcore fucking US one. Um, <laughs> it probably it probably took way too long, but I had a fucking blast with it, man. Um, I am I am now in the fucking minority of weirdos whose hot take is that this game is actually class and that you should play <laughs> it. And um, and I and I would personally designate it as magnificent Seventh Saga. To tie, it back, to, to tie it back to Henrik, <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't have much to say. Well, I do have much else to say about this, but we've not got three hours. So, um, Mike, have you get, have you get final thoughts? The the one thing that I would kind of do, I think, if I wanted to put my game designer's hat on and kind of like um, redesign this or kind of change things up a bit, is just to kind of emphasize the the non-linear kind of side of it. You know, that's that's I think it's it's selling point, and that's what made it a bit different. You know. I would let there be, you know, mere kind of non-linearity. Maybe you can choose what order you want to do the dungeons in. Maybe the characters are a bit more differentiated, mere different paths, mere of the kind of running into the other warriors and that they're yeah. all going doing their own thing in that. I just kind of make it so that you you really could like you know play it a hundred different times and get a really different experience. Apart from that, I'm not going to say it's a it's a classic. I think it's mere one for the RPG heads. I think it's, it's some of the things like the random battles and especially the difficulty of the original version can be quite off-putting. But you know, if you have played the kind of all your kind of classic SNES games and you're wanting more, you're wanting something a wee bit of a change, and you, you're not you're not scared of the odd fucking number <laughs> or, or the odd random battle, then I definitely give this one a shot. It's, it's slept on a wee bit. I would even add to that, you know, play it play it with a patch like uh, McCormick did. Play it with a you know, the, the one that gives you more player-friendly experience like the Japanese game had rather than the fucking, you know, kind of grindy slog fest that the US one has because, you know, pe- people have made different patches for it now that, that make it more accessible. Yeah, the one that I played, um, it wasn't particularly difficult at all. I, I only have, like, um, the experience of like, me and Mick putting it on one night when we were quite drunk, um, <laughs> like having a bash at it on the on the emulator, and then getting into like two fights and having your ass completely handed to you, and then going, nah, we're, we're going to play, going to play Mario Party or something. This is too much. But yeah, it's, it, it actually, I think there is a, a decent game underneath some of the sketchy translation and weird um, choices by the American localizers. Aye. So yeah, RPG buffs. Get a Transgressions of the translation, huh? <laughs> Indeed. So that brings us on to our last game. McCormick, why did you pick PlayStation cult classic Medieval for Mr. MacArthur here? I think purely because, and maybe it's just the kind of corners of the internet that, that I hang about in, but I feel like it is treated a wee bit of a, in a weird kind of situation where it's not like a, a pure underground, like, you know, only real gamers know it, but it's also like, 
he doesn't often get talked about in the same kind of tones as like your classic PlayStation games, like your your kind of Tomb Raiders or your, your Crash Bandicoots and stuff. It's this kind of weird um, position, and I remember it being really popular at the time, but then a few years later, I just never really heard them talking about it. But I always remember like really enjoying it, and um, I thought it'd just be a fun wee kind of bash to um, um, to go back and revisit and see if it, it holds up. To put it into perspective, right, put yourself in the position that you are, it's like 2001, 2000, um, you are at the fair in Greenock, and there is a cheap ride, and on the side of it, to capitalise on the popularity of PlayStation, there is snidely painted PlayStation mascots, right? <laughs> I remember I remember this vividly. <laughs> Alongside Lara Croft, and Abe for Abe's Odyssey, and Crash Bandicoot, there was a man himself, Sir Daniel, for med- medieval, fucking the big skeleton head with the goofy teeth. He was there alongside all the big hitters. Where has he been since? Andy, that's what I'm wanting to know as well. Fucking, <laughs> I was calling him fucking Paul Avekian, man. That's Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Daniel Fortescue. Medieval, right? When I played the first level, I was I've fucking played this. I've, I've definitely played this. Do you know where I played this? I think a good few people might remember uh, the Monster Trucks demo for uh, PS1. Well, my favourite part was the Monster Trucks. But I think I had that a level of White Boot, White Boot 2097. I had, like, uh, I had Monster Trucks. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm way the. I think it had a bit of Broken Sword 2 on aye, it, aye, if did. I'm not mistaken. Um, it was a rolling demo. That demo disc is where um, uh, I, I don't think I actually ever played medieval outside of the demo so I'm, I'm in the uh, I was in the exact same boots as yourself do you know I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a demo disc that I played it on as well but I don't know why this particular demo disc was so fucking ubiquitous it came with the it came with the Playstation also like see when you hang on demo discs right they were only a, really a hang for us before chipped games was a hang aye Aye, when chip games came out, you didn't really give a fuck about demos. <laughs> when you first got your PlayStation, demo discs were actually quite fucking good value. Like, it, it would give you like a level a fucking, you know, five five or six different things. Like, they were, they were fucking great to play. Aye, that's definitely when I first played it. I, and I knew it as soon as I played the first level. Because I remember, um, and this is going to tie into kind of my thoughts on the game, um, I remember the first level, I remember way back in the day, like fucking 1990s maybe, thinking, this looks like a fucking 3D Ghouls and Ghosts. You know well, what I- So the, apparently the, 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 the developers wanted it to be, in terms of the art style, a combination between Ghouls and Ghosts and The Nightmare Before Christmas, which I think they, they definitely pulled <laughs> off. They, they uh, nailed it. They nailed it, man, big time, aye. Uh, it's technically, it's a hack and slash game, so kind of... And if you're in a um, kind of a bit, maybe a bit, maybe a wee bit like the one we covered, the ninja game, the you a wee tiny bit, and it's a lot more simplistic combat. But I got, I got, I got some tension off it too. And even in the graphics, whereby um, the graphics that are shown on screen are top class for the PlayStation. However, there is a lot of black to compensate for it. So. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fully, fully three D polygonal and that. There's no, no pre-rendered stuff or anything. It's a three D world. Aye, aye, it's pretty good. And eh. Uh, I, you essentially run about um, killing things. You've got an option to get a special item on each level. I think it's a, it's a 
chalice chalice yeah. called. you kill you kill enough enemies and it, it fills up the chalice and then that unlocks in a, a certain part of the level sometimes that finding the chalice itself is a kind of a side quest on its own so there's always kind of it is hack and slash, but there's always kind of hidden hidden objectives and things to do. Aye, and uh, there's always like a wee blurb or a wee story or something telling you what you need to do. But there's always like it's always got like a wee bit of pattern on it, isn't it? Like yeah, tell you like you there's one that's kind of it kind of talks like a salesman a wee bit, and that it says that uh, you can get this power up if you complete this mission. Uh, you'll never leave the grave without it and all that stuff. <laughs> kind of like a GTA style quip or something, man. Yeah, it was quite a funny game. Like the the, the story was that there's um a kind of an, an evil sorcerer was was trying to take over the the kingdom, and then this this legendary warrior, Sir Daniel Fortescue, kind of rose up and and faced him. Yeah, he he kind of gets resurrected when the um, when the sorcerer comes back and kind of in the town's time of need. But you find out um, throughout the game that he, he wasn't a hero at all. He was actually a pretty useless warrior. Um, <laughs> I like he he get an arrow through the face within killed like, with the killed with the first arrow fired in the battle or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you've been brought back to life with all these expectations that you're going to save the day, but you're actually quite shy. It's it's quite mental how much ghouls and ghosts there is in this game because um, your your power ups and your kind of wee bits and bobs are found within like treasure chests, which is ghouls and ghosts. There's also like, a lot of things like balls and like obstacles falling down hills that you've got to dodge, which is ghouls and ghosts. You've also got like um, weapons that you can use that are kind of effective, but are not much different from each other. The same amount of damage, which is ghouls and ghosts. So I mean. <laughs> There's a lot, there's a lot of fucking ghouls and ghosts in this game, man, um, which I quite like to be honest. But obviously, the twist there's, uh, being that you, you're playing as a, a ghoul. Aye, aye. Uh, if we want to get back into that debate, well, aye, aye as, 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 aye. Andy, as, as is, to put to put your own question back at you, oh, as as Sir Daniel a ghoul or a ghost? Well, I spent less time looking at his, the supernatural aspects of our hero here and more about his um, aesthetic, aesthetic and um, dental kind of aspect. Uh, his appearance <laughs> kind of surrounding the, the mouth area. I come up with two funny names for him, man. I had a few, man. I had a few and I thought, nah, these two are going to make it a podcast. And the two I kind of came up with, the first one was Beef Teeth. <laughs> All right. And the second one was Clumsy Gums. So I think I'm going to go with clumsy gums because that face, looking at you, you can certainly put uh, clumsy gums and attach it to that, and I think it would go quite hand in hand. Sorry, to evade the question. No, this is our uh, this is our segment now where we um, we bully fictional characters for computer games. <laughs> oh, clumsy gums! Is <laughs> huh? the last time you were at a dentist, beef teeth? You <laughs> can't kind of talk back. It's a bit of a shame. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the main character is like. Simultaneously quite boggin' looking, but also quite um, sort of lovable ah, as well. No, I think I think I think there's some uh, charm to him. I think he's quite kind of cute, almost. It's quite endearing. It is a bit like that Tim Burton Nightmare Before Christmas thing, I guess. Aye. Aye. So I didn't actually play this in the run up to the fucking podcast. Uh, I was Excellent. too busy bevying and uh, low key spent all my time completing Seventh Saga. What else is there to the gameplay of this? Because as I say, I've only got half remembered demo disc memories of this. Um, is it mostly about the hacking and the slashing? Is there a bit of platforming there as well? Um, aye, there's, so I I go for it. There's kind of two aspects to this game. There's like a there's like a kind of there's a hack and slash sections like the first level when you're outside and you get kind of as I said the ghost ghost aspect that kind of recurs through the game. Uh-huh. You've also got. 
um, levels within an interior, like a castle type of level, where there's different kind of uh, camera shots and stuff like that. Kind of, you know, Resident Evil when it like, changes like perspective and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, it becomes a kind of mere adventure game, kind of like, maybe a bit like Soul Reaver or something. I, I I only got to like one of the earlier ones of that where you're in the kind of cathedral thing, but there's you're, you're kind of picking up keys to unlock doors and like doing some kind of light. Puzzle solving um, as well, and like in the second level as well, the one you're talking about where the boulders are, are rolling down the hill, that's almost like a kind of Mario sixty four thing. There's a wee bit of kind of platforming and, and dodging those things. Aye, aye oh, definitely. Aye. Well, uh, there's also quite a spooky aspect to this game. Um, I don't know if you if you kind of remember much about the the start of the game, but there's uh, the start of the game is quite scary, man. With that kind of kind of mysterious kind of music and the the skull at the start and then obviously you've got the zombies that make that horrible fucking earth shattering noise man <laughs> when they kind of approach you it's quite yeah. scary yeah they, and, and kind of later on in the level you, you encounter zombies that are quite fast and fucking run towards you and make you shite yourself oh crimson heats I'm doing an Andy Mack impression here because I while, while we've been recording have been just scanning over the wiki and things and um, Andy, that was actually quite a good eye you had on the um, Ghosts and Goblins comparison because there is a, a a quite prominent review of this that basically says that the whole thing is more or less a, a homage or like a tribute to uh, Ghosts and Goblins. Hmm. Could be, man. Could be. Uh, the only th- I, I suppose, man. But it's got some insane stuff too. Like uh, the bosses, I thought are quite are quite cool. There's one boss in particular I quite like it's just a giant like pick a horrible looking thing it's sitting in a cocoon and uh, it throws things at you you're running towards it so it's like a kind of kind of like what you were talking about earlier like the kind of aspect where you're facing something so you're facing the boss you've got to run at him you've got to use your distance to stay away from these kind of projectiles and all that and he's an ugly motherfucker <laughs> he has wee babies so you've got to kill his wee babies too like, oh, shit. classic I like that. Um, and also, I like the way that... Like, I, I said that uh, the weapons don't do much different damage for each other, but the mallet, the mallet kills everything in like, one hit. I like the mallet. And I like the way the, the screen shakes as well when, when the mallet hits. The thing that I always liked in the game is like the how you unlock these weapons, as you are saying. You, you get a chalice, and then if you get the chalice, you go to the Hall of Heroes... Um, and then the Hall of Heroes is where all these other kind of heroes for the past folk, folk you fought alongside in that they've got statues and you go and talk to them and you get a bit of chat from them and they give you like a new weapon like the, the first guy you meet is a guy with a, a crossbow um, he hands you a crossbow and that's a pretty handy weapon that kind of bounces off things you get another guy with a hammer and stuff like that I always kind of like that um, progression yeah. what, what was the other one you were saying? There was a fire club there's a level where you've got to go and burn down all scarecrows houses <laughs> uh, you've, got, you've got to do. You've got to set. You've got to run. Why is this? Is this like the the Highland clearances? Like <laughs> that, that, that that sentence was really really alarming for some homes. reason. Why why are you why are you doing this? Well, I can't really remember, man. I, I, I can't. It was a quirky week. Just, you were you were just you were just following orders, mate. Is that it? I? <laughs> uh, I suppose I I was a bootlegger. No, but there's there's there's, there's a level called Scarecrow Fields, and basically uh, there's various. Uh, bonfires been left I suppose you can call them bonfires and uh, you've got to go and light your club with fire and you've got to avoid getting hurt off a town scarecrow and be able to evade them uh, if you get hurt obviously you've got to go and light your club again 
Um, you've got to try and dodge the baddies to light their houses on fire, essentially. Right? <laughs> it always kind of appealed to me in that hall of heroes because you get the um, there's the first level, but then there's a kind of upstairs bit where you might get even more items later in the game. And they say when you when you spoke to all the the statues downstairs, then you unlock a, a staircase and that takes you upstairs. And that always fascinated me as a kid, thinking like, what's what's up there, man? Like there's a whole a whole new range of Aye. kind of toys to play with, but they're just out your reach. You, 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 your mind fills in the blanks a wee bit. Like what is up there? Aye, I like that too. That's... I have always loved that in a game where um, the game will fucking lampshade something. You know, that's fucking... Uh, the, the earliest fucking example of it I can think of is in fucking Dragon Quest. During the first one, one of the fucking first JRPGs ever is that the starting tune is right next to the fucking castle that you fucking complete the game in. Uh, that's away on an island in the middle of the ocean. But you can just fucking see it from where you start. Just so you're like, I'm, I am going to fucking go there one day, man. What's in that fucking castle? Aye. Uh, there's things you can collect there called fairies. They kind of look like your wee pal and Zelda all in that time. Uh, wee boys are late. Did you find out, McCormick, how far did you get in this? Do you know what fairies actually done? Um, I, I didn't manage to, to play that much yet, unfortunately. I didn't have a, a whole lot of time. I, I wasn't sure what they did. I also wasn't sure what the what the witches' tokens did as well, because I got Aye. one of them, but I didn't end up having anything to use it for. There's, there's wee kind of hidden depths, wee kind of hidden things like that, items that, you know, can be interesting things later in the game and that. So I think, what I think it was, was there's a bonus, I think there's a bonus level when you're in, like, a, an ant's cocoon. It's like an ant, you're in an ant hill, but inside an ant farm is it an ant farm or an ant hill or whatever it is yeah, right. you're inside you're inside a construction built by ants anyway right and uh, fucking you've got a uh, free fairies or something and I think it's kind of like Sonic special stages where you've got to uh, get like six fairies freed you've got to get as many fairies as you can freed okay. by the end of the level and you get some sort of weapon or something at the end of it but I never ever got enough to find out what you actually get <laughs> yeah it's quite good at that it kind of kind of just um Tempting you a wee bit, kind of showing you something that's a bit, bit out of reach and kind of making you wonder what's Aye. what's falling up. I didn't go into this with kind of like big expectations. I think I, I kind of maybe thought maybe this is just one of those games that was was really popular but didn't really have that much depth. But I was kind of pleasantly surprised. Yes. Like there's um, it's uh, it's it's quite some quite good design in it. There's games now that came out new. I think it's good a battle system as it. It's just uh, hack and slash. It's not like the the types of hack and slash where it's the same. Move on a loop every time you like press a button twice. It's got the same thing. Like it's got its three stages. So what you've got your one slash. Combo. But if you press a button three times, you can do a different combo. If you press it twice, it will do a different combo. Depending on what direction you press, it might do a diagonal jab. So I mean, the battle system's quite good. Um, you've also got a shield. You can use a shield as well. And there's a kind of charge attack as well. Let's actually get a remake in fucking 2019. Which unfortunately for yourself, Andy, was limited to the PlayStation 4. But I think it was pretty much just a ground-up remake of the original game. I don't think they, they changed that much. I don't know, it doesn't seem to have got the fanfare that the, you know, the Crash trilogy or whatever got. It's, um, it's well, just, I mean, it's got some interesting ideas. Like the big pumpkin level, with the, the, the scarecrow level, every level's got the same sort of uh, theme, but... I mean the what kind of Halloween Halloween type themes? I macabre kind of Aye. scary thing. But I mean the the green and brown ghouls and ghosts thing always permeates through more than anything. That kind of is a bit that jumps out in every single level. Um, but 
I mean, it's got. I mean, it's trying to pull off a kind of dark atmosphere, and it does that, you know. Aye. Does that. What did you enjoy most about your playing experience, and was there anything that wasn't so great? Aye, I enjoyed like uh, I enjoyed the atmosphere of the game. I enjoyed how uh, the enemies were a bit different for other hack and slash games, like the zombies. Like good care was made into making these things a bit freaky with their like their sound effects and stuff. Aye. Like that. I quite I quite liked being able to change weapons and uh, the mallet was stronger than the sword and things like that. I liked that. Aye. I also liked that uh, you could uh, like this is something that's kind of overlooked in a lot of hack and slashers, like the sword. The sword is quite a long weapon, so you might have a uh, be able to attack kings and I'm like melee attack kings that are further away um, than you would if you had like maybe the, the, the short knife or something like that. A bit, of, a bit of variety in gameplay is all but goes a long Aye. way in these in these things. I find the controls are quite a fluid. Day. It's not it's not clunky in any way, shape, or form. A lot of these older games have got clunky controls, man. I mean, the worst being Bubsy 3D, you know. Um, this <laughs> well, <is> quite, <laughs> this is quite. That's an acid trip. This is quite a smooth kind of moving game. Good frame rate, man. It jumps decent as well, which is a good thing. Um, this was af- after the tank control era of PlayStation games. I don't know, man. This, this, this was riding the cusp of tank controls and it went the same way. So you got to give them props for that as well. This, this came out in, what, 1998, I'm going to say. I'm going to turn your attention to the, uh, one of the bosses in this game, right? Which is a big, massive pumpkin, right? And, man, fucking tell you what, see for PS1. Uh, it's like, right, you're fighting this big pumpkin, right? And it's rooted into the ground and it's going nuts, it's got a big face on it and that. But see the mare you smash it up? The mare it kind of warps into like a smashed up pumpkin and then it becomes like a pure horribly fucked up pumpkin by the time you're nearly finished. <laughs> and I mean, they really pulled it off on the PS1's fucking chip, man. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a great looking fucking boss, man. Like, fair so enough, yeah, well, he's black, but. Did, did it make you feel like Billy Corgan, but. Speaking of smashing hunkins, um, (laughs) Andy, what are your? I mean, do you have anything else to add or McCormick? Since it's your pick, do you feel that we've we've missed anything out here and and representing the game, or you know, is it a recommendation? Closes closes off on medieval. Right. I'm always quite a bit coy, man, when it comes to games and, and appraising games because this is one that's got a lot of fans, man. It's like for some, this would be a first hack and slash game, 3D hack and slash game that, that people played. So I don't want to bash it too much. Got a lot of good ideas. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, a hack and slash mechanic is spot on. Uh, there's not much you like to say about it. The only thing I would say is it becomes a bit semi, a bit repetitive. Uh, too much green, too much black, maybe, I don't know. Um, and uh, it, I, I don't want to say it's a runny ML. However, there's games since that have done this style a lot better. Uh, but it's not without its, its merits, man. It's a good game, you know. At the time people were playing this, I was playing this game called fucking Nightmare Creatures, which ah, was a lot, that's a, a, game. a lot more fucking horror orientated and fucking pro- probably a worse game actually in retrospect. Well, but that that was just the one that I had. I can see a lot of similarities between us and that certainly. But don't get me wrong, man. They pulled off with the but today they wanted to make a kind of dark, kind of tongue in cheek at times, uh, and slash game, and they've done it, man. They've done it on the PS1 hardware and they've got it looking decent. Even to this day, you can still make it what's on screen, which is maybe can be said for a lot of PS1 games. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think it holds up fairly well, is what I'd say. Basically, like it's made of a cult classic status, I'd say it's probably deserved. <laughs> like, it doesn't, it's, yeah, it holds up. 
decent wee mascot too. I think he got a bit of hard, a hard, a hard one because he's got decent. I mean, Mister Paul Levesque's got a decent kind of. What's his name? Daniel. Fort- Daniel Fortescue. Sir, Sir Daniel. Daniel. Sir Daniel. Sir Daniel has got. Uh, he's got all the makings of a varsity athlete too, but he just obviously <laughs> well. never became. He just obviously never became at Crash Bandicoot level. Uh. A household name. Uh, well, I mean, so the the bottom line is. Even if you've no get your fucking nostalgia goggles on, this one's fucking well worth a wee fucking dip back into. Maybe even play the... If you're a PS4 person, fucking play a remake or something. Although I don't know if the remake got pelters, I don't know if it's a good remake. Um, but you've got Google listener, so fucking... <laughs> you don't need us. So, uh, Medieval remains unplayable... Oh, hang on, let me take that again. <laughs> medieval, medieval remains pretty fucking playable. Even if you enjoy its cult hype, it's still pretty good. Um, no, Andy Mack, given that this is your... I don't know, sort of long-warned-of baby, your pet project, oh, oh why don't my. you fucking tell us what you've got in store? for the next fucking episode of Dynamite and Eddie. Right, and at this point, I'd, I want to ask McCormick, who's our humble uh, director and editor, uh, if we can put... That's going to be the theme tune of the next <laughs> one as well. With right, that okay. Dynamite and Eddie twist. Dynamite and Eddie's going to take you to the land of Euro 2020, um, or the codified nature of Euro 2020. We're going to have a FIPA special... We're going to pick one proper football game, and we're going to pick one kind of mental football game each. Uh, we're going to have Johnny Branchfield returning to the show, who's an avid football game fan, and we're going to sit and we're going to get through um, some football games. I uh, sorry, McCormick, in advance. I know you're not much of a football man. Well, you know, I've I've just picked some off the wall choices, choices that lean a bit more um, towards my own sensibilities. Also, weather permitting, um, if possible, we're going yes. to we're going to record this in the historic Cathkin Park. Um, just a pure coincidence, it's like a two minute walk from my house. Aye, so Cathkin, so Cathkin Park is uh, the second Hamden Park. Obviously, there's three different ones. The third one just knows the one we know. Kafkin Park was home to third Lanark FC until 1967. Former juggernauts, yeah. Scottish Cup winners. Aye, they went bust, man. But the, the, the quirky thing about third Lanark Stadium, um, Kafkin Park, and why we're going there, is because, for some reason, man, they never demolished it. It's still there. So nice. Gonna... It's never a yep. public park. We are going to go... And we're going to sit on the centre circle and we're going to record an episode of Dynamite Medi talking about our, our memories of our favourite football games, man. So don't miss that one, it'll be a good laugh. And if you don't like football, don't worry, don't worry. We're still going to... We've got McCormick here that I'm sure will be able to de it. Aye, you're, you're every man. You're, um, what do you call it when you're in, like, it was a superhero film but there's one normal guy ah, the all, the super, all the superheroes have to explain all these concepts to him, that'll be me. Aye, the, the sidekick. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> if it's a Sonic film, it would be the guy who looks like Paul Maranaji. Yeah, the fucking Polish guy. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Andy, right? Yeah. See, before we close off here, given that the next one's a, spe- a FIPA special, yes. let's fucking both show our asses and make predictions for Euro 2020 finalists. Fuck's sake. I'm going for. Unfortunately, the Belgies, fucking Mon Poirot, I like Belgium, but versus the the Angloids, I think Belgium, England, 
is my pick for the final. But it's not looking very promising on the the side that England are on to stop them getting into the final, is it, man? Who else is there? I know Ukraine they're playing, but who's on? Who else is on that side? Um, it'll be a Danes or a Czechs after that. Aye, right. I think Denmark will beat England, man. Right. So right. it's going to be Denmark Spain final. Denmark Spain final. Where you go? So um, maybe one is will be right. Maybe one is well. Maybe we'll be both wrong, but. Um, there you go, you've, you've got me and Andy Mack both both putting a wee bet on here. Uh, McCormick, for for shits and giggles, um, I don't know if you've seen like the, the tournament predictor thing, you get you get any shout yourself? Um, I think East Germany are looking pretty good. Yes! <laughs> Do you know what? And uh, the Soviet Union is going to rise again and win the fucking whole thing. Get as long up, as it's not fucking Czechoslovakia, I have to put it down to us. <laughs> I mean Czechoslovakia did it anything to us that was a Czech Republic and oh, that we that we prick shit anyway oh well oh well eh? oh well fucking well there we go that's your generation's popped out in the first round man at least we know what it feels like now <laughs> we knew what it felt like in 1998 aye I know but I never did any pubes yet man you know what I mean I, I knew I know what it's like to get a square kick in the boys I knew <laughs> And new listener, I know what it's like to shag um, Franz Kafka, which I do regularly. So get it up the Czech Republic. Fuck the Czech Republic. <laughs> fuck Croatia. But most of all, fuck England. <laughs> God bless.